something funny Brett I would love to hear something funny it's about me getting well open mat jiu jitsu and a no gi class no gi class sparring at the end six or seven five minute rounds judo black belt I was with unfortunately you you can guess what's going to happen next can you Uh, no I've got an idea flipped off Flipped off. I'm flipped over my over his body, and I'm landed on my back. I'm like, "What's happening there?" Anyway, he goes, "I'm going to show you why I did it." Same going on. Anyway, literally, fucking hell. Two two minutes later, three minutes later, sparring another dude, not a judo, boy this time. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what belt he is, jujitsu, because um, is no gi, but he somehow had me in a headlock and I ended up landed on my back as a guy. Hmm. I got up and I said, mate, that was awesome. Fair play. Stop. Thanks. I said, what was that? So he showed me, he did call her a name, but I can't remember what it was called, but it was quite, it was quite amusing. Mildly frightening and amusing at the same time. I feel like I need to explain because I'm not sure whether this is your accent or whether also people might have no idea about jujitsu. Um, Probably both. Yeah, or, or possibly both, but Johnny's saying no gi, as in oh, yeah. not wearing a gi, as in not wearing pajamas. Yeah, not not wearing what some might consider a karate suit. <laughs> yes, because um, obviously different types of jiu-jitsu. One is wearing a gi. Uh, another type is not wearing a gi, which is usually just wearing like body protectors or what other people might understand as Under Armour type, you know, skin tight shit, basically. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess each to their own in terms of what style you prefer. I guess wearing a gi um, is, I think, probably more traditional. I, I don't know my history about it enough, but I'm sure that's the more, more traditional. Um, also comes with its own problems because you can actually get che- choked out by your own gi quite often. You know, the people can grab... You, I think in... Um, certainly in... Um, obviously, you can't grab um, other people's gis, but you can grab your own. Um, and obviously, you can like, choke people out with your own gi and stuff like that as well, which is quite interesting. It's almost a, it's a, it's a different style isn't it you can do things in uh gi which you obviously can't do in no gi because you want nothing to grab as such mm. but eddie bravo made um no gi quite big didn't he when he beat um brooks and gracie or one of those uh, no gi mate there's about, there's about a billion gracies i don't know half of them who they are one one of the one of the one of them was supposed to be the, the, the best one at the time and he made it quite um because it was more applicable when he was saying, like, they were going into the UFC because of the Gracies. And they were either boring or they were losing quite often because they did not they did not know... They did not know what, to, know what to do without a collar or lapel. They couldn't grab onto a collar. Yeah. So he made it right, well, this is ridiculous. I love jiu-jitsu. I'm going to make sure that they win all the time. So he made it big, didn't he? No, uh, no gi. Which is, I mean, depends... Do you want a purely... F- it depends on what you like, really, isn't it? Do you like wearing pyjamas or do you not? No geese, I would say, more practical, maybe, for general life, but... Then again, though, I always think more pe- people are always wearing clothes. Like, mm. if, you, if, if you're using it as, like, a self-defence type thing, like, 
people are people are usually wearing clothes, so if you had, had a coat on, it would just chalk, you chalk them with the coat, with the coat, you know. Mm. I think it's definitely beneficial to do both. The only reason I haven't done gear yet is because I haven't got one yet. I, like yeah, well, um, I know people are probably getting bored of us talking about jiu-jitsu um, whenever we start a podcast now, but I guess it's just current affairs in our life at the moment type thing. I haven't actually started mine now because I missed the first the first week of the uh, new sessions or calendar sessions that were happening were this week and I was away in Southampton. So I spoke to the master of the, the gym and said, uh, am I best waiting for the next one or do you think I can kind of catch up from the first week? So to be honest, I think you're better off waiting. So uh, annoyingly, I've had to. Uh, he said next ones are in start of September, possibly a bit earlier. So it's probably only another month and a bit. But you get, you get, they give you. A, I was sorry, I was going to say you sit on the top of a gi. They, they, they are give. They give you a gi when you sign up. So. That's good then. They do yeah. one year. They do. It's probably the same everywhere. It's probably this the sort of the way they do is you pay whatever it is for, like a beginner's introduction. You get the gi and however many lessons. Yeah. Like, that's basically yeah that's basically what was done yeah. he, he was saying like the gi's worth 60 quid or something which is basically like the first month so you kind of you, you could probably do it and if you don't like it sell your gi for 30 40 quid and you're barely out of pocket so yeah. not not like will because i'm sure i'll i'll continue but um i yeah. find it quite I find it quite addictive it, it is that's what i said that is all that is actually part of my worry about when I signed up was how much of a rabbit hole am I going to, going to go down? Like, and I do have this kind of um, history, like, you know, the coffee machine thing and have this history of kind of getting a bit too involved and going down rabbit holes where I'm almost become obsessed. And most people I know that have done jujitsu, especially, but like a, a, a fair amount of martial art, different martial arts, they have all got really obsessed with it in terms of like, it's all they think about all the time. But yeah. Is like, Obviously, not the same as it, but you watch a YouTube video and you think, right, next time I can see how that works out. Because I have one to one with, with uh, my coach down there. I can say, look, I looked at this, how'd you do that? And it's then it becomes practical looking, you right, I'll do that, and I'll try it in real life. Or Shelly let me, or we'll just do, we practice in the house, or just, try it. Just get Shelly an armbar. And... <laughs> yeah, try this. <laughs> oh, hilarious. I'd like to see that. That'd be so funny. She's quite uh, she's very, she she does it with me. She's very aggressive. Very is, aggressive. Is this just is this like some sort of bedroom sport or no, some... she, she comes to one, one she comes to the one to one classes and we sort of are one literally one two one. One mm. one two. One to two. I... So she she wants to start a class, but obviously I've been to the open mat and the Norgies and she's not too keen on having another man's ball bag dangling in her face full of sweat. Oh, that's a shame for you. Mm, yeah. I might turn you on um <laughs> i yeah I, my experience of women in martial arts when i've done things before so like when i did muay thai before there was uh, a few girls that used to come along to some of the classes and i'll be honest like sparring with those at the end of sessions it was always a bit uncomfortable because i suppose there's an element of gentleman gentlemanly can't even say that word where i felt like unsure and i i appreciate that it's almost misogynist or sexist to even feel like you have to like that women are physically inferior so therefore um i'm gonna take it easy i know that how how that comes across how it sounds but genuinely i was kind of a bit like i'm not really sure how i play this so i'm just gonna be interested um interesting basically how i'm gonna kind of play it basically and the funny thing is like one the women were probably more well definitely more skilled than me and two they did not hold back the slightest, like you say, very, very aggressive. So I basically got my ha- ass whooped most of the time by them because actually where I felt like 
oh, okay, you know, I'm not going to fully commit here in terms of sparring because, like, it's a girl, uh, which, uh, like I say, it comes across and is actually really sexist. But I guess it's just being open about how I possibly felt at the time. Um, I had no need to be because I was just getting my ass absolutely handed to me. So, yeah. Yeah. And be under no illusion for people listening. If, if any woman who does Mai Tai or Jiu Jitsu at a decent level will hurt you very, very easily. Probably. If you yeah. are not the equivalent skill at their sport. Like, if Shelly was a blue belt, purple belt, she would terrorize 99% of them. Uh, that, that, that's the thing, is in, like. In that situation. Yeah. I'm not being striped or nothing like that, but, you know, on a mat. Someone who has never done it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't not tap. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting because I guess like that whole concept of like, oh, well, I'm a bloke, so I'm physically stronger and stuff. And yeah, I guess as we mm-hmm. spoke about in the 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 trans athletes and sports episode, um, a few weeks ago, yes, generally across the board on average, men are stronger than women, and I guess that does lend itself to kind of. Um, physically being able to defend yourself, that you the the men is the the man is more likely to be successful, but be under no illusion that a skilled woman could probably still kick a lot of blokes' asses that have no training in fighting whatsoever. Um, there is there's always an argument of kind of like well, you know, in a street fight, how much does this stuff really kind of lend itself to and does it actually have any use and I think that's why you know the conversation we had around oh if you're going to defend yourself boxing or jiu-jitsu what would be more effective I, I still think, think that, you did you did and that is that is called being <laughs> open-minded and malleable and evidence-based <laughs> um, but no I I think like a, a skilled jiu-jitsu woman could probably okay you know if a bloke gets a strike off then you know but then that could be the same for anyone someone gets a strike off that could be game over because obviously you could just get knocked out but i still think it, it sets people up really really well to be protective of themselves and be able to defend themselves but it was an actual there was a video didn't we get these stupid videos like normal people um ask for a fight the professional fight there's just stupid you and there's but there's one on there it's a big rider basically 16 something stone big big bloke Strong as fuck. Purple belt jiu-jitsu woman, 60 kilos, killed him. Killed him within 30 seconds. Literally? Or just metaphorically? Metaphorically. I was thinking, shit, fucking hell, that escalated quickly. He was done. Not only was he gassed, because she had him on a deck, and because she was obviously quite nimble and quick, she was moving around his back, and he didn't know what was going on, and she took him up. Yeah. Within 30 seconds. And this is a... What you class, if you look at who you think he's going to kill her, and it's like, no, he was out in 30 seconds. It's quite funny. Yeah. But it's that, that thing, it's like, there are some men who just think because they're big, you know, even if they've never trained, they can beat, you know, men more egotistical than women, and they, and they generally think that they can beat a skilled female. It's like, you can't. It's not like you've got, like, I think with, with strike and you've got a chance in you. Even though she'd be quicker and more accurate, you'd probably get sparked out. But you could potentially swing and hit by accident. Even, not by accident, yeah, but you fluked it. But on the ground, still, even if you're on top, difficult. Because even if you're trying ground and pound, she grabs an arm, 
drama's gone. So if I, any women listen to this, I would highly recommend not on any expert in doing BJJ. I don't have a month, and I have no skill in it whatsoever yet. However, I see the uses of it as a sport, clearly, and self-confidence for when you're out in the boat, especially this day and age when everyone seems to be fighting each other and everybody hates each other. That, that, that kind of moves on to the point that I wanted to, to make in that um, the I think the general level of ability for the average person in terms of fighting is well overestimated in that people seem to feel most people think they can fight when they absolutely have no idea and it's not until they'd actually kind of come up against someone that is skilled in some sort of fighting method in terms of martial arts or whatever where they suddenly realise that actually yeah I'm so vulnerable because I thought like you know oh go on lad I can fight you know like most blokes just think they're getting a scrap and a fight and they throw a few punches and then yeah that'll be alright but the reality is you come across a skilled fighter no chance absolutely no chance I mean, is this, I always think the same thing as well. It's like, oh, when you're on the street, imagine someone knocks you up. Be looking like, well, you watch the UFC, and obviously these are skilled fighters fighting other skilled fighters. How many knockouts do you see? They're totally out cold. It's on every match. So no. the chances of someone who's, who's relatively unskilled knocking someone out, it's not rare. It's obviously not rare, but it's probably less likely than people think. So if they... If they miss and you've got good grappling skills, they finished. Mm. Yeah. And I, got to the floor either. You could no, it's not to say you would you know, bring them into your guard on the floor. You wouldn't do that. If you had the ability to arm drag them, go around their back, push them and run away. They've problem solved, isn't it? Potentially. Either someone's seen it or you can get away in time, but that's the point, and it gives you that edge. To run if needs be because let's be fair none of us want to go around fighting in the streets if i've never fighting the street ever in my entire life i'd be happy mm. I, i've unfortunately probably been in too many fights as a as a young teen not like going away starting them but i've just been involved in too many instances which to be fair i would like to have avoided every single one of them so yeah. um yeah i i concur that if I can avoid any more fights for the rest of my life I'd be more than happy as in like fights, street fights as in not organised events because that might be different I might enjoy an organised competition or something but one day maybe a jiu jitsu competition who knows um, I was just going to say uh, I was listening to another competitors podcast let's say competitor not really uh, I joke but another podcast and someone said something on there it's kind of gave me a little bit of an inspiration moment in terms of like that's this is an interesting kind of thought and perhaps an interesting topic to talk about it was essentially around the idea of does coaching guarantee success as in you know if you're an individual that has a certain goal getting a coach does it guarantee you kind of then having the you know success of reaching that goal and in the same way flipping it over uh, as a coach are you going to have success with every single client and it got me thinking about it because I guess it's one of those things where people w- won't be on social media and, you know, coaches won't be out there selling themselves and services on the fact that they, you know, they don't have success with every individual. But I think most people like us would say if people are out there saying they do get success with everyone, they're probably not telling the truth. Because I think we would both be open to, enough to say that 
obviously every client is different everyone's level and even everyone's kind of interpretation of what success is obviously differs as well in terms of you know everyone has different goals um some are more extreme than others so therefore kind of like level success might differ between the two but also with with clients being different and coaches being different it's almost impossible to have success with every single person even from like a stylistic perspective like not every client's going to even suit so from a coaching perspective as well like people shouldn't be upset or disappointed if a client doesn't reach their goal with you and they go on to get to reach it with someone else it might just be at the start of the matchup but i thought it was just an interesting point to talk about and maybe people are bothered or not i don't know but we'll we'll talk about it anyway um just because yeah one it maybe perhaps gives an insight into what coaching is and and what people can perhaps expect to get it and also where the responsibility and things like work ethic relies and whose responsibility that is um yeah i just thought i just thought generally it's just an interesting topic so i mean like if i asked you a question johnny do you get success with all of your clients and i haven't got a success with all of them no but i think as i've gotten I think more emotionally intelligent and moved away from, I think, because when you're younger, when you start, you're like, yeah, you know, it's all about calories. And then you sort of focus around strategies that just focus on calories. So when you're starting off, you're quite limited in you. So as you get more open mind, you, you can understand there's more to it than just calories. So I, so I think as, as I've become more aware of things like you know mindful eating then i've got more success later on than i did at the start not to say it was unsuccessful at the start but there were there were more people who didn't get as good a result as they wanted at the start than now but, but there's loads of different factors as well it's your it's like anything, it's like any job. You are not proficient or expert when you start. As a matter of fact, I think when, when you call to an expert, you're probably in trouble because maybe you're thinking you can't learn anything. Um, but when you start up, as well, you're trying to find who you'd like to work with as a client because not everybody gets on with everybody else. Like when I was, I'd say mid-20s, what did I really know about a mother of three who was 40? I couldn't really relate to that person, but I like, really. So as you get older in your career, you understand who you work with best. So you can, you don't, you could, you so you, you market yourself to people who you know, or what type of person you get on with. Because if you don't get on as a person, then you may not get the results you want or you may not be able to convey what you want them to do efficiently or maybe they just don't get it there's loads of different reasons why you don't get results with clients because i mean fundamentally everybody knows how to lose weight tonight but it's how you get someone to lose weight and keep it off and do it efficiently healthily without ruining their life yeah yeah I think obviously what that demonstrates is a bit like what I said really in that there are just such a, an amount of differences in terms of coaching styles, client requirements, um, client goals, etc. that almost like, you know, take, taking your example of when you're new to the, the game almost say, 
things are like you'd, you'd be incredibly difficult to have a solution or kind of a coaching style something that kind of fits everybody it's just not going to happen like or certainly you, you know you might still get some results with some people but you're not going to get the best results with everybody because it's just you know it, by definition really the fact that you're new and inexperienced you just don't have the skills don't have the experience to be able to then apply all these different methods to what is have to be which is always going to be a, a, a quite a broad audience the only thing is obviously I guess you could argue that some people market themselves in a way that they get a very specific type of client. But even then, I think it's quite difficult to say that, well, not difficult, probably inaccurate to say that everyone's going to have the exact same kind of best results from a, from a certain coaching style, even if the kind of the client kind of demographics are quite similar or the type of client that people are attracted are quite similar. Um, but... Uh, I also don't I, don't, I don't think like, and I guess like this is why I thought it was interesting to talk about because I, I, I could see why like one clients might look at a coach and think, well, if they're not getting good results to everybody, they must not be very good. And I also think on the same breath that a coach themselves might feel shit because obviously I don't know about you, but when I've lost clients before or not lost clients, when clients have left me either prematurely because I, because I, and I, before I felt like we'd reached a particular goal, which has happened or whether it kind of I've got to a point where I'm at my wits end where I, I kind of struggling to kind of work out what the next move is to help this client reach their goal and I'm, I'm a bit lost um neither of those situations feel pretty good as in like I question whether it's my fault what I've done and I guess there'll probably always be an element that there's something in my my fault in air quotes um but I suppose also in the same breath like a lot of times we we talked about uh, previously around clients coaching doesn't guarantee success by any stretch and that clients still have to put in the work and as much as a, a client's job is to get sorry a coach's job is to get that client to do the work um you know i think i made a joke before or previously about it in terms of it's a bit like coaching is a little bit like um jedi mind tricks you're almost trying to not trick people but you're trying to get people to do something to get them to reach their goal and obviously it's not always as easy or often as kind of direct or transparent to say you need to eat less or I want you to eat X amount of calories less to lose weight because obviously we know that that's the only way to lose weight. Um, sometimes like it's actually kind of adjusting their behaviours and sometimes the way you do that is quite clever. That's why I mean by like Jedi mind tricks. Um, it's not always a case of you just you just strategically tell someone to do it directly and then they just do it. In fact, that's often what doesn't ever work. Like you don't you don't you can't just tell someone to just eat less and move more and then therefore suddenly they lose weight a lot of the times you have to kind of help a lot more in terms of not only the instruction the education the information around it but also then kind of often little things and little kind of i don't it's really difficult to explain actually but the little nudges or little kind of like persuasions that gets people to do something that then sometimes then aligns to you know the result of you know the principle of weight loss or you know whatever the goal is say it's easier to talk about weight loss goal isn't it but does that make sense? Yeah. What? What's um? Oh, you got sorry, mate. Go on. Re readiness to change. Some people are just not at the stage where they're willing to do the work to change. So they, so they believe that even though they're not ready to change, maybe they not the place in life where they can commit to something. But whatever it is, they sometimes just think a coach is a magic pill, or he'll do it all, or she'll do it all for me. It's like. Well, maybe they maybe they can give you everything you need, but it doesn't matter. You still won't do it. It's almost like someone's like, oh, it's just an excuse now. Well, it's the coach's fault. So there is there is an element of that as well. 
but there is an element as well is 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 in your consult can if you find that maybe you get a few clients who are not ready to change put something in your questionnaire which sort of indicates whether they are not doing it all actually i don't think you're quite ready for coaching yet use whatever a pdf to look at or mindfully to know something so they get value from it but you understand they're not ready to change so because you know that client's not going to get results so you save their money really and you save yourself a lot of heartache well not heartache but worry yeah yeah no I, I think that's important around the the consult part as well and that like i still find it strange that there's some quite well-known professionals out there that admit to not even doing consults or, or offering consults because they don't need to and i see that kind of like don't need to is a bit of a strange thing to say because it's kind of it's almost like well it's not always about need the client needs one quite often it's about actually making sure that you're screening the client to make sure that like you've just said the readiness to change in the right bit you're not kind of getting people's hopes and expectations into a point um where they're then they're going to be let down later on down the line because you can kind of see that they're not ready to kind of go through this process yet and there's probably some other reflections they need to do work on their goals work on the motivations perhaps um and there might be other alternatives which are more suitable at the moment like giving them you know like i said some resources to go kind of self-serve with almost which would save them time money and also save yourself time and money so yeah i do find that a bit strange really that there's still people out there that don't that don't use those consults in the right manner um it could Clearly, a consultation is a chance to the client to get to know you, get to know what you're about, your coaching styles, ask questions, those types of things. But it's completely reciprocal. And that's exactly the same that you should be assessing that client, screening them to make sure that you're a good fit for them too. So, or they're a good fit for you, I suppose. You can always tell them the phone when you have like Skype or something. You tend to find that people get on with you. Just, you just, they just, it's easy to talk. The, the conversation is relatively easy. And it's like, well, you, you seem to get on. You know the conversation you have something mm-hmm. like, oh, this is this is awkward, this is not going right. So you you probably won't they probably won't sign up anyway, because they probably understand the same thing. But I think I think you know when you get on and I tend to find when you've got on really well on the phone and you t- you talk about goals and you're going through different things, then they tend to sign up. I mean, 90% of the time, from my personal experience, that's what, if you get on really well in the fall and you you click and you ask the right questions, they open up. Surprising, most people do open up. Um, you tend to find that they sign up after because they, 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 they think that you understand them, which sometimes you do. You've been exactly where they are, which is good for them. So, yeah, there's that as well. What, what what's kind of like your or, or have you got any examples or can you think of any examples of like perhaps I, I loathe to use the word but difficult clients you've had previously where perhaps like I said it hasn't gone to plan or isn't been ideal for you in terms of the results you've got with them or obviously clearly for them I've probably had two one one was a online one to one one was in a group program so one in a group program, I'm not going to say any names, was very, very large. And I'm probably saying 18 plus stone, maybe 20. Um, so we go through everything in the group. It was a bit different to the one-to-one. 
but they say they were, I think it was like 10 or 15 in the group, but they were all doing pretty well. Obviously, you get varying degrees of um, results in the group, but this one in particular wasn't getting any results. And she was saying, I'm only eating 1,200 calories. And you know the one, standard, I'm only eating 1,200 calories. I'm like, okay. So this is when, not probably a year or two, was it before Was it before Mac Nutrition Uni? Maybe. Was it before? May, may have been. May well have been. Or doing. So at the start, probably. So before all the behaviour change stuff. So <clears throat> it's going back and forth. What are you eating? I'm only eating this. Blah, 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 blah. I'm saying, are you sure are you eating this? Send photos. So she's obviously sending cherry pick photos of travelling the calories. Oh, I'm not losing weight. i got to eat more to lose weight. And then it went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. So I said, look, you cannot be the 1,200 calories. It's physically impossible at the weight you're at and the calories you're at not to lose weight. This, it cannot happen. You'll be the only person in history for it to happen to. But she wouldn't, she wouldn't believe in, oh, yeah, I'm only in 1,200 calories. Now, there's two, well, there's a couple of ways to look at it. She's lying to herself for whatever reason. She's obviously telling me porcupines. But now I, I would have probably taken a bit of a different approach to it and I would look at behavior change things and look at mindfully and then go around down that route. So you could say it was partially my fault as well for not knowing much about that sort of thing back then. But it's a bit of a two-way street in there. If you're very large, 18, 20 stone, and you think you're eating terminal calories, you are, you are wrong. Or you're either, well, you're deluding yourself. Or you're either eating in the day and just adding up your calories at the end and just totally fucking it up. But that was one. So she didn't, she literally didn't lose a pound. I'm like, right, whatever. And that's just chalk it off as a, as a loss. That was a loss. Um, but then there was another one who, what's the one name and name? Was a one to one. She was doing, I can't remember what weight she wanted to lose, anyways, particular amount of weight. And she was doing well, but there was always, so she was, seemed to be very motivated on the phone. We'd have weekly calls where she's motivated to do it. She's done really well. But then every week, something would happen where she'd have to binge eat. And then this happened three, four times. I'm thinking, I think, I think you need additional help because what you're highly motivated to lose weight. You lose weight, something happens, you binge, you have a call, and you're upset. It's like you need you need someone, whether it's a psychologist or a dietitian, to dig into what's the issue because clearly, I am not equipped for what's going on. So that was a, I was a failure in terms of, yeah, she lost weight. But what she's doing is not 
beneficial for their long-term health. Mm. And you need, in that situation, obviously a lot of people would just carry on and carry on and carry on. But you would think, well, she's that motivated, but she binges at every single slip up, even though we said, look, no bad foods. If you, you know, if we eat a little bit over, don't worry about it. As long as you're building the right, correct habits, it's okay. So if it's like, oh, I've had a piece of chocolate, right, that's it now. Go eat everything. I failed. So it's like, <clears throat> could I have set up, I probably would have set the diet up differently now, because as you learn from those things, but she needed more help than I could give her. Yeah, I think I think that's a really important and honest point, actually. So, like, uh, oh, uh, people are like, oh, kudos to Johnny but I genuinely I think it's one of those things where like you say a lot of people's livelihoods rely on kind of clients you know no one wants to lose a client you know it's money down the drain not money down the drain it's money that they're lost out on that they obviously potentially can't pay for their, their bills with um, as a, like a lot of self-employed fitness professionals there's always this worry about kind of where future income is going to come from and kind of whether you can replace clients so that doesn't lend itself very well to referring out people where you're not really in the best position to help someone or even that's not even necessarily having to refer out even sometimes getting help from other like areas so it kind of becomes like a tripartite type relationship where you're getting support from um or like multifactorial um support from you as a nutritionist a uh, a therapist perhaps for potential eating disorders that type of stuff um I, i would probably guess that there's a lot of fitness professionals out there that support people that are probably outside of the scope of practice really um through either fear of losing clients and losing income or because they actually genuinely believe they can still help them when maybe they can't it's just they can't admit to themselves even that you know this is beyond my my ability to do it because you know i've done it as well i'm not going to so there's been people that i thought to myself I'm not sure whether I'm the right individual here, and but some of their behaviours probably align more with things like eating disorders and certainly binge eating disorders or like binge eating, etc. Um, seems to be one of the most common things where people show signs of it. Now, I guess the difficulty is also a lot of fitness professionals aren't even in a position to diagnose that, let alone kind of refer out. Like they wouldn't even know necessarily that someone might be showing signs of binge eating disorder, or even if they do, they wouldn't recognise it as a clinical disorder. So wouldn't even think to refer out potentially they just think it's oh it's a normal thing that everyone does um and it's just they don't want it hard enough or you know there's other things that habits they should be building to try and help avoid these binge eating type behaviors and again that's naive and we know that that's probably not going to help a lot of people um so yeah i think really important point that about referring out and just recognizing like like you say i'm sure there's there's experience in uh, and there'll be a spectrum of people where you can help and there'll be a, and obviously a further down the spectrum there'll be people that you definitely can't and would be outside of practice but it's about learning those experiences then helping the ones that you feel you can help and recognize the ones that are out of scope and refer them on to the right people i do think people think like practitioners forget that you can still work with someone but as long as you bring someone in of a profession like a dietitian you can, they can still work with a dietitian from the nhs and still employ you to do the rest of it. Doesn't mean you have to, right, dietitian said this, you don't go against what the dietitian said, but you just support yeah. what the dietitian does, or the psychologist, or whatever. So, so you can't work with them, or you've got to sack them off as a client, you could just go, look, I can do the, the you need to see something about 
this particular issue that you've got, then it's up to them whether they decide to go, I don't know. I think all dietitians work in the NHS. Do you have to have a private? I don't know. So if you have to pay for both, maybe they sack you off. But, you know, you've made the best choice for them. Well, I know we may have lost 1800 whatever you charge a month. But I think people would rather lose 80 quid and then rather than someone going, actually, that person, you know, at the worst case, is bulimic and they died. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. I know that's a very extreme case, but it happens. Well, so, I say it's not it's not that extreme. Like certain no, certain certain clinical eating disorders like bulimia, anorexia, obviously have quite or have a lot higher than than some of the other ones in terms of risks of, of severe consequences like death. But it does still happen reasonably commonly. So bulimia, yes, highest, isn't it? Is bulimia the highest? Bulimia, death? I think bulimia is the highest. Yeah, um, I can't say I. I I can remember one of the the lectures actually around eating disorders in uh, actually on malnutrition, um, albeit I can't remember the exact. Uh, I can't remember whether it was the highest or not, but certainly like I say, anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa, two of the higher ones in terms of uh, quite severe outcomes that people can can kind of go down. And I don't, I mean, I don't even think a dietitian necessarily is the right individual to help them unless they're you know, a clinical dietitian specializing in eating disorders um, yeah. i think most of those things do need specific therapy because most of those are effectively a mental illness they're not they're not something obviously physical that people are doing so for the most part but yeah i mean the whole the whole the whole thing about like i say the concept of you hire a coach you guarantee results um it's just not true by any stretch um for various reasons like i said the, the kind of the, the coach client relationship and how well that gels and works the the style the um i suppose the motivation and the ability to to kind of want to change to the individual themselves um yes yeah, uh it's a it's a tough one really it's a tough one for, for obviously people to sometimes accept but also a tough one for coaches themselves to admit to because no one wants to admit that they're a failure no one wants to admit that they failed a client and didn't help them so i know but you do, but you do learn as you go along, don't you? Yeah. Because if you, let's say you had hundred clients in a couple of years, and they all happen to be all successful, right? Maybe out of if you if you never have a failure, you don't tend to learn, do you? They're all successful, or whatever I'm doing, you go, I just keep doing it until you find the one client. Well, actually, it didn't work with them. Why? Why didn't that work? Or because maybe I didn't incorporate mindful eating or food environment or something. So then you can bring that in to your coaching, which is not going to affect anybody else negatively. But it could enable you to help a few more people. Because yeah. you know, there are certain coaches who will only accept people who will track, who won't deviate off their diet, who, who are literally perfect. That's not coaching. That's easy. Anyone can do that. Anyone on the face of you can coach people like that. That's not a skill to me. But most people, most general population are not like that. So you have to, so there's more chance of you getting failures and there's more chance of learning from it and becoming a better coach, practitioner and being able to help more people. I mean, if you all you got to say to people is like, Eat this many carbs, this many, this much protein, and this much fat. Do carbs twice a week, and they go, yeah, no problem. And every week they lose two pound. Get shredded. Where's the skill in that? 
but isn't any, is no, it? No, it's no. Gonna... You, you're a glorified macro calculator. Yeah. But there are some courses who charge 150 quid, 200 quid a month for that. It's like, it's fine. If people want the accountability to go, right, I'll pay that guy to tell me what to do, right, fine, whatever. But th- there's no skill in there. There's no, there's no requirement for you to learn anything about how to get results for a client. When you get the bad clients, even the bad clients you learn from, I don't want that type of person. I need to screen them better on the consult. Or I made a mistake with a client because I didn't do this. Then you can integrate that with the next lot of clients. I think the failures is where you learn. It's like everything in it. The failures and anything in life is where you learn. Yeah. What I was going to say a minute ago, which I didn't, is when we're talking about referral, referring people on to other individuals. Um, I guess like that mantra of, or you know, like every coach's mantra or, or healthcare fitness professional, um, you know, any medical professional as well, first do no harm is always kind of like the, the, the first thing we're all taught and what we should all abide by. I guess that's kind of like key really in terms of like making sure whatever your practice is, do no harm. And obviously if, if you're not sure whether you're accomplishing that, then you should refer out. Um, but yeah, I, I, I I guess there's like a lot of the other stuff you were then saying, um, really good points. What I, um, what I was going to say is, I don't, well, actually, I was, have you got any more to add to that bit or? No, I don't think so. No. Because um, this is obviously going to be quite a short episode. That's all I was going to say in that we're obviously only 40 minutes in. Although I'm happy with that and I'm sure the individuals themselves might be happy with that as well um, because they're probably uh, bored of us talking about jiu-jitsu. And, um... it's, it's, it's good advice. If you want to get into a martial art or something, it gives you a bit of confidence, um, super awesome cardio. You feel like you're dead when you're doing it, when you're sparring. Best cardio ever combat sport it's a bit of fun well depending on what you class fun really but if if people are struggling with I think a lot of people find cardio boring in a traditional sense because it comes to bodybuilding it? walk on the treadmill go on the bike whatever if you're doing I don't know kickboxing Mai Tai BJJ four five six times a week you don't need you don't need to worry about doing extra cardio I can tell you that now it's sure. horrific, horrific, especially big you do when someone's sitting on your chest. <laughs> You've got to try and get them off. Yeah. It's, it's good fun. You meet new people. gives you a skill. makes you more confident. I don't see the downsides, of course, unless someone breaks your arm or shoulder. <laughs> that's, that's, quite, that's quite a downside. Mm. But from my personal experience in sparring, when they are more advanced than you, they put you in locks, but they're not ramming it on. They're quite protect. Yeah, what a new tap. There's my, no one who's out there to really hurt you. Yeah, my my experience is exactly that. Most people with more experience than you know what's going on, and they almost protect you to a certain extent from yourself in terms of uh, not allowing too much damage to to actually happen. But obviously, it might be different if you jo- do join a uh, a competition and you get your arm broken. That would be a bit disappointing. But then um, you either hard as nails bollocks um or uh really stupid and should have tapped earlier <laughs> so yeah whichever way you want to look at it but it, it is an excellent i didn't think i would like it as much as i do 
very, very good. Yeah. Well, like I, I said, think... that seems to be my experience for most people. Just fall, just go into this little rabbit hole of of obsession. You no, know, we're like we're like watching John Danaher mm. and the Danaher Death Squad. That's a hell of a name, isn't it? <laughs> Part of the Danaher Death Squad. <laughs> oh, Christ he alive. He's, just, he's, a, he's got a PhD in philosophy as well. So he's, the way he talks is like, I'd like it. I'd like. Yeah, let's do a podcast from earlier. This is totally off topic. He was asking. He was asked the meaning of life. He's just going through all, and he said, "You you get two deaths. People worry about death, but where were you before you were born?" I always think. See, I thought this before. It's like you were nothing. There's nothing. So why why do you worry about it? Because you wouldn't worry about it then. Because you weren't you. There was nothing. You were nothing. Like you don't expect that sort of chat from I, a PJ video. Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe you do because I think obviously a lot of people that get into martial arts are quite. Uh, introspective and, and kind of um, open-minded about this sort of stuff, but I think it's, it's that phrase. I think what, what you say there, where you get two deaths, where like you get your first, you get obviously your or two lives. You get your first life, and then actually, I've really butchered this. You get your first life, but you can then get your second one when you realise that life's finite, almost. Yeah. It's, it's like yeah. when you stop, you stop wasting your life when you realise that you're going to die one day. Yeah, because he said if you if someone if, if there was a god, he said like you you live to infinity. It's almost like you, you're dead because there's no rush to do anything ever. There's always something to do. There's always more time. But it is very interesting. And I, I think it makes you... It takes away your ego as well. Because mm. especially from... I think obviously men are more egotistical than women. Everyone's got egos. Women's got egos as well. But if you've got an ego going into that... It will be choked out of you. <laughs> Very shocked. I've just found the uh, the quote I was referring to. Confucius, uh, in the quote is, we have two lives, and the second one begins when we realise we only have one. There you go. Much, you know more, much more eloquent than, than how I put it. But. You know what Confucius also said? What did he say? He who says he can and he who says he can't are both usually right. Both usually right, yeah. Something similar. Um <laughs> He also said, the man who moves a mountain begins by carrying away small stones. It's true. What more can you ask for on this podcast? Nutrition, training. Philosophy. Look at this. Yeah. By three... Other people. (laughs) Yeah. By three methods we may learn wisdom. First, by reflection, which is noblest. Second, by imitation, which is the easiest. And third, by experience, which is the bitterest. This this guy was very insightful. Isn't it? It does not matter how slowly you go as long as you do not stop. Um, I must admit, these are all kind of like Fit Pro tiles you see on their Instagram of like Monday morning motivation type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But it's something I could only really. It do make sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess like a lot of philosophers had a lot of um, good things to say. Um, but no, you can you can probably, uh, I suppose, uh, what's the word? Reflect on all these things and think, yeah, actually, do you know what? These do, these do have some meaning in my life, and I guess you can kind of then align yourselves with them. But the Stoics back in the Roman times, they were pretty insightful. Mm. Right on that note, mate, got to round up. So thank you all for listening. Hope it wasn't too boring. Um, we're hopefully coming on with some some or more guests in the next few weeks so uh, keep an eye out 
And uh, Johnny, I will see you soon. He who fears death will never do anything worse of a man who is alive. Right on. Thank you for listening to the NNN podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by rating on your podcast provider, sharing with your networks so we can get our content out to more people. See you next week. Thank you.